Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. Uh, this episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner, and ScriptRunner is a great solution to centrally manage PowerShell scripts and standardize and automate IT tasks via a graphical user interface for help desk or end users. Check that out on scriptrunner.com. I'm Tobias. I'm back again with Yussi. What's up? Hey, Tobias. I'm back to more strictly trying to control my screen time, not on the PC though, but mostly on the phone. So I, I realized during the summer vacation, uh, I had a fairly lengthy vacation of six weeks, that, that when I'm sort of done with the duties for the day, everything in the house, if you're traveling, everything you have to do when on the road, at the end of the day, it's too easy to sit on the sofa and, you know, check the news. I've muted a lot of the notifications on my phone. I have an Android phone, so I just mute a lot of things. And, and even then, when I pick up the phone, there's always like five to seven notifications from different chat groups, from email, from Teams, from Twitter, from Instagram. And you sort of start going through those and suddenly you've spent 20 minutes without really realizing that I, I just burned through 20 minutes. Nothing really happened. I, I just sort of did some assistant job just by clearing up things on the phone. So I set the phone now to alert me when my screen time goes over an hour per day. It's not blocking anything. So there's an interesting exception here. So it's relatively easy to just set it to one hour a day. Yeah, I'm done. But there's an interesting exception because as an example, if I do my gym exercise, the programming that I'm following is in a Google Sheets because my personal trainer is, is using Google Sheets for some reason. So he's sharing that to me and I'm opening it on my phone. And if I have an 80 minute session at the gym, I need to constantly check and track and record and verify which weights, what movements and, and when to do what. And suddenly I'm burning through that 60 minutes a day relatively easy, even if I'm doing worthwhile stuff on the phone. So it's, it's been a fun game, sort of not using the phone for useless things or things that I don't really have to do, but then being conscious about using the phone when I really need it as a tool and not worry about that 60 minutes limit. It's a fun game. Yeah, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. It's something we practice a lot, and, and I do this around the house as well. I also schedule notifications for different apps. So after working hours, I cannot get notifications from Microsoft Teams or from Outlook. Uh, I can actively go into the apps if I need to check something because I expect to to receive something or I expect to uh, to get an update or, or something like that. But I will not get notifications off hours, and, and I think that's pretty healthy. Similarly, I disable notifications for a lot of things on the phone. So you actively have to go in and take a look. And I, I really like that approach. Otherwise, you get notified all the time and, and it's a distraction, often an unnecessary one, because whenever the phone pings, it's not necessarily the thing you need to take a look at right now and it can wait. So on my side, I think I already told you last time that I recently transitioned into an architecture content lead role uh, with the cloud architecture content team at Microsoft. That's been a lot of fun to get up to speed with how things work on the inside. And I'm definitely looking forward to the journey ahead. And in joining Microsoft, I also started to evaluate my certification posture, if now that's a thing. And I think it is because looking at your certification profile, it, you have like all the certifications you can possibly have, I think. So I decided I want to pursue more certifications, perhaps 
initially in the Azure space. It was never really a priority in the past for me, except when partnership status with Microsoft for the company required us to have certain exams or certain certificates. Uh, but given I work a lot with Azure, it perhaps was time that I got the AZ900, which is now done and dusted. That's the fundamentals, asking you pretty much, do you know what Azure is? Um, and then I also took a stab at the uh, SC100 to become a certified cybersecurity architect expert, whatever that really means. And that was a fairly straightforward exam, and it requires a wide range of knowledge, but no knowledge about exact commands you need to run or which line of PowerShell is the correct one. So no, no tricky questions like that. It's more a very broad exam. So more of an architecture level and design decision type of exam, which was really fun. So I can definitely highlight and recommend pursuing the SC100 to anyone if you work in the security space or if you're interested in working in the security space within the Microsoft and Azure platforms. Take a look at the SC100. You don't need to be an expert on all the technology behind it and all the commands and how to deploy things and how to uh, run specific tasks, but you need to understand what's available and how to properly design a security architecture. And I really like this exam because it, it really uh, gives you a, a pulse of how well you understand the entire landscape of designing cybersecurity solutions on the Microsoft tech stack. And that was super fun. So I, I'm happy that I passed on the first try. I have worked a lot with those solutions. I did not get full score on that one. But I did get the the little thing you get when you do the exam saying, hey, here's some room for improvement in this and that area. So um, I made a note. I will probably never read up on that anyway, uh, because when you pass the exam, you're just happy. You go have a drink and you're done. <laughs> so, yeah, th that's my that's my what's up. Happy that I joined Microsoft. I nailed the exam and I could definitely recommend that to anyone. I, I fully agree on the SC100. I think there's a total of seven security-related certification exams now from Microsoft. I think I still have one that I haven't done yet. Perhaps that's something fun for next week. Alrighty, so this week's episode is a look at Microsoft Defender external attack surface management. So yet another security-related capability now available in Azure. Are you familiar with this? Because I, I realize you were also having a vacation and you've been busy uh, transforming to the new role at Microsoft. And this really slipped under my radar during the summer. And a colleague of mine pinged me, I think last week, that, hey, you said this is something you need to look at. So, so how's your experience so far with Defender EASM for short? Yeah, so I've taken a look at this. I think they published the documentation for this around August 1st. So that's just a little over a week ago today. And I'm still unsure if you pronounce it E-A-S-M or ESM. Uh, in, my, in my head, I, I call it Defender ESM. Obviously, that's probably not the correct one. I have taken a look at it. I have deployed it, several instances of it, uh, because there are some limitations in the preview that is currently out. So you cannot create groups and, and things like that, which we'll get to a bit later. I really like it. Put simply, I would say this is how Microsoft is exposing your architectures, your assets, if you want to call them that. And, and an asset is a device, a server, a VM with RDP open. Anything that's accessible to the public facing internet is pretty much an asset that goes into the inventory. And this tool, Defender EASM, or whatever we want to call it, makes a discovery and inventory of all those things 
and and the assets are domains, host names, web pages, IP blocks, IP addresses, ASNs, SSL certificates, who is contact. So quite a few things. And along with the host names and things like that and web pages, it can also, when it finds IP addresses, it will do a port scan. It will do all kinds of things to check, is there any way we can breach into this thing? Um, and, and then it just gives you the results saying, hey, we, we found all these things where you don't, you haven't protected these things enough. You should probably do that. And my, my initial point here I wanted to make is this tool now brings the view of the attacker to us, right? Because this is usually what the attacker does. They go and take a look and they do a port scan or, or an IP range scan or, you know, whatever tool they use and say, okay, find anything that's on the internet and then just run a bunch of scans on it and then give me everything that has vulnerabilities. This tool does exactly that. So it will give you a list of vulnerabilities and uh, vulnerable websites. It will give you the domain name, like this website is vulnerable with all of these exploits. Go take a look because that's what the attackers do. So I think this is a, a way for Microsoft to now bring this forward into our security posture so we can really strengthen the security game and stay one step, well, one step more ahead at least uh, of the attackers by gaining some somewhat same visibility that they have into our organizations and our public facing devices. I don't know if I summarized that in a in a comprehensible way. I, I think it's it's a good summarization of what this service is capable of. And I'm hoping that in the future we would have Microsoft Defender external attack surface management business premium plan one and plan <laughs> two, but hopefully it will remain as is. And as a side note, uh, when this was announced in early August, uh, at the same time, Microsoft also announced the Microsoft Sentinel solution for SAP. I have zero clue why I would need that because I don't have access to any SAP instances, but still useful um, to have that as well. So, so back in the day when I was, I was a kid, uh, a tool like this would exist, but that was primarily something online where you would type in an IP address and it would simply do a port scan. Oh, you have this device connected to the internet. Let me scan all of your ports. Oh, we found RDP open. You need to do something about this. So I feel this is much more advanced because it's not simply scanning whatever raw IP address ranges or domains or, or websites you are offering, but it's actually following through that sort of graph of nodes or assets, as Microsoft seems to like to call them. And it's building this comprehensive big picture for you. And as you so, uh, uh, as you said, what the attacker is seeing, now we sort of see the same. So I did configure this as well. Let's talk about that in a bit on how do you provision and how do you configure this and what it's capable of discovering and mapping is IP address ranges, domains, as you said, web pages, ASNs, if you do routing, SSL certificates, and even who is contacts for whatever IP address ranges and the ownerships for those. Did you configure this uh, when, when, when you set it up? Did you add all of the assets or did you primarily go for something like your home IP address or your domain or something like this? So I, I added actually quite a few instances of Microsoft Defender external attack surface management. And 
so for one of them, I added all my domains. For the other one, I added some IP ranges. For the for the third one, I added some Whois contacts and email addresses and things like that, just to see, you know, if if I would get different results, even if it's tied to kind of the same assets and domains. That's still running. I'm not receiving any results on that yet. So either that means it did not discover anything, or it just takes a bit longer. Because I do believe the the tool says the discovery takes somewhere between 24 and 48 hours, and and that could also be delayed. Because I think mine has been running for almost three days. But on the other hand, um, I, I took a look in the documentation, and it also states clearly that if you don't have a particular reason why you want to do a custom inventory, use the uh, already built-in attack surface discovery. Because they, Microsoft is proactively doing this. They already analyzed everything Cloudflare, everything Microsoft, everything. If you have a big company, it's likely going to be in there already. And they already scanned domains and certificates and everything that is tied to your company. So if you work for a big corporation, search for that when you add your inventory, tick that box, and within seconds, you will see everything that Microsoft already found. And then you can start figuring out you know, the, the point of attack that the attacker is already seeing, right? So there's really no excuse for anyone to wait to do this. If you're in charge in any way or accountable or responsible for anything security in your organization from CAO, CISO level to uh, being a security analyst, doesn't matter, right? If you have any touch point with security in your organization, start taking a look at this. I found a lot of things that are wide open. Um, so, so definitely worth checking out uh, from that angle. But for me, I did not get any results yet on the custom things. I, I did initially try this with a couple of my domain names. I couldn't find anything. And then I went with the, uh, with the custom discovery process. I simply added all the assets that I knew of. And away it goes. It says the same to me, 24 to 48 hours. It's been running for about 26 hours for me. There's nothing so 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 there's no progress bar there's nothing in between it simply says we are building something fun for you so my suspicion is that there is actually a power cell script that's scheduled to run once per 24 hours and it just kicked off two hours ago for me <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully tomorrow when it when it when it um goes up to 48 hours there's another process that kills the first power cell script and extracts whatever it found and constructs a nice looking HTML for me. So what this reminds me of is back in the day when on-premises were still the greatest thing ever, we had something called the Microsoft Advanced Threat Analytics. And it sort of did the same. You would install it and it would replicate your network traffic, your internal network traffic through the, the, the network switches and routers that you had. And it would analyze those and based on the findings, it would map, well, you have a domain controller here, you have a file server there, there's this sort of traffic happening, this looks suspicious, this looks risky. So this is sort of the same, much more advanced. But what I, what I feel is, is worth underlining here, that the Defender External Attack Surface Management, I always have to look up the name <laughs> in my notes, the service is not just for assets you have in Azure. It's not just for assets you have in on-premises. It doesn't matter where they are. So as you said, you have something secure to Cloudflare. 
that's supported. You have something in on-prem, you have something on the edge or DMZ, you have something in Azure, something in AWS, just put everything in there, get the big picture. That I feel is the value here. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good way to see it. And, and what I usually say is anything internet facing and not just like public website, but anything that's connected to the public internet, which is VMs and domain names and SSL certificates, anything that can be discovered here. And speaking of discovery, there are four things that you pretty much get when the tool has run the, the initial scans, or if you opt for uh, using one of those built-in um, rounds of discovery that they already did for you, uh, which I did. I selected Cloudflare as a company because I'm running a lot of things through Cloudflare. So I'm, I'm taking a look there, um, what they discovered. There's a lot of stuff. So you get kind of, well, there's four dashboards that you get with different kind of angles to look at the data. And, and then you get one general inventory. From the inventory, you can just go there and then you can start filtering stuff out. And you can say asset name starts with something. If it's an IP address, if it's a domain name, whatever it is, you can take a look and see if it's in that database. I did this because I'm running on Cloudflare and then I put in my own domain name in that box and I found it. So Microsoft already discovered my domain because it's uh, coupled with Cloudflare because my who is information of my domain is mentioning, I think, report-abuse at cloudflare.com. So the who is information is tying my domain to Cloudflare and Cloudflare is the one uh, thing that I discovered here. So going to the, to the inventory, I can see everything about my discovered assets if they're running through Cloudflare. That's pretty interesting. Um, and, and there's a lot of stuff in there. So moving on and, and looking then at, like if you know what you're looking for, it's great to go to the inventory and say, well, I want to know about this IP range or this IP address, bam, put that in, or a domain name or whatever it is, you can put that in there. Otherwise, if you don't know where to start, move on to the dashboards. And there are four dashboards, attack surface summary, security posture, GDPR compliance, and OWASP top 10. And I think these are fairly self-explanatory, but we can run through each of the dashboards just to, to get the kind of the highlights of what each dashboard uh, gives you. So if you're still not sold on whether you need to use this tool or not, hopefully you will be. So the first one, attack surface summary, just gives you a list of high severity observations, medium and low severity observations. It will categorize them with domains, hosts, pages, SSL search, everything we mentioned before. For example, here's about 327,000 domains in this discovery. And I can see that there are plenty of high severity observations, and then you can just click them. So either you can click on a specific one, like Cloudflare CDN or Azure hosted or hosted on Amazon. So let's click on the Azure hosted. It found 5,600 assets hosted on Azure, which have uh, known vulnerabilities, right? And then by doing that, you can then drill down and, and take a look. What does it contain? What is the vulnerability? Is there something we need to do to patch it? And, and like you mentioned before, this is not about your internally Azure hosted stuff. This is about anything publicly accessible to the internet. So I'm not finding my own stuff here. I'm finding everyone's. So if you're tuning in, I'm looking at the vulnerabilities for your website and for your VM and for your whatever device you have connected to the internet right now, as does everyone. That's the point of this tool. 
to bring us the view and the angle of the attacker because they can see this stuff. So that means we should uh, be able to see it too. So I really like that. So the attack surface summary, it's, it's basically a summary of the, well, the attack surface for where attackers can gain access and through which channels. So like sensitive services, RDP, SMB, SSH, VNC, PostgreSQL, MySQL, stuff like that. You can see SSL certificate expiration, domain expirations, and that's also a very common attack surface with expired certificates or domain expiration where you do domain takeovers as an attacker because it expired. Um, and then you replicate the content of the web app with something that is uh, malicious. The next dashboard would be security posture. Again, it's the same kind of underlying data, but presented in a different way. So you have CVE exposure that we talk about here. So you see domains administration, um, which is kind of a measure by who and where domains for an organization are managed. Uh, so you can see, you know, are they unique registrars and how many exist and how many unique registrants exist? So, ergo, how many purchased a domain, how many unique individuals or organizations purchased the different domains, hosting and networking, domain configurations. And if you're a network administrator, you might know EPP domain status code, uh, like not client update prohibited, client transfer prohibited, client delete prohibited, things like that that you can configure on your domain. If those are not configured, that is also a risk, right? Because if if you don't prohibit a transfer of your domain and a malicious attacker gets access to your email, maybe you don't even have multi-factor authentication, then voila, they can just email the registrar and say, hey, let's transfer this to there or reset their password and they will get it into the inbox and then they will transfer all the domains to someone else. So it's super important to have those things configured. The next dashboard, GDPR compliance, again, talks about different websites and, and the status they have, SSL certificate posture, PII posture. So if it discovered any PII, so it, it kind of all the assets are PII candidates, um, and then it will discover that, which has data like name, address, date of birth, email address, stuff like that. If it determines that this website or, or whatever it's discovering has PII, it might show up there. So you can see live PII sites by protocol, by certificate posture, you can see login posture, cookie posture, and, and again, related to GDPR. And, and this is super cool because that cookie posture is like first-party cookie violations or third-party cookie violations, things that, that are breaking the GDPR uh, regulations in one or the other way. Super cool, super interesting. And again, not just my stuff. I'm looking at your stuff right now. Anyone tuning in, wherever you work, I will be able to discover your weaknesses. So again, it's more important that you get ahead of this than you sit and wait. And if you're not the one responsible for security, send them the link to this tool and make sure that they actually get ahead of the game because it, it's super cool. Um, again, still in preview, but the amount of data you get insights to here is pretty cool. And, and where I find it to be really interesting is then when you come to the fourth dashboard, which is the OWASP top 10. And the OWASP top 10 is breaking down like these top 10 security threats that exist, which is um, kind of an open community, open source community, or or an open group that is setting the guidelines for, for these things. Those top 10 things are broken access control, cryptographic failure, injection, insecure design, security misconfiguration, uh, vulnerable and outdated components, uh, identity and auth uh, authentication, software and data integrity failures, security logging and monitoring, 
and server-side request forgery. So all of these things, those are the top 10 threats for workloads on the web uh, as determined by the OWASP. Um, I don't know if they call it the Institute or yeah, the, the, the group, the working group um, behind OWASP. Now, if I take a look at this and I know, well, I have an exploit for something in this area, I can click here, maybe cryptographic failures. If I click on that, it will give me the list of websites discovered with cryptographic failures or vulnerable and outdated components or whatever it is. And, and I see a bunch of different sites here and quite a few of them, and all of them are online live sites today from organizations, individuals, whoever. So it's, it's really discovering everything. So I really like that. So the idea here is you can really drill down into, into all the data you have. But if, you know the, the easiest thing here, in, instead of us talking about what exists in the dashboard, take it for a spin. Right now it's free, it's in preview. Take that for a spin, discover what your organization is exposing, take a look at that, and then start making a plan. And if again, if you're not the individual to make that plan, make sure that the individuals in your organizations who make those plans become aware of them because there's a lot of stuff exposed to a lot of vulnerabilities and the associated vulnerabilities are listed here. So as an attacker, I can even use this tool and say, well, I know that CVE XYZ is something that I can exploit in the wild. Then you can select that CVE here in the list and it will show you all the websites that was discovered that has that exploit open. So all of a sudden I can not only see about weaknesses and, and you know improving your security posture, I can see where I can exploit things actively in the wild right now. Again, bringing the view of the attacker to to us. So hopefully this will make people more proactive. I'm quite amazed on the tool because when you provision it, it literally takes 15 seconds. And if you don't do the custom surface finding process where you add all of your IP addresses and domains and whatnot, but you simply select whichever company pops into your mind, be it Cloudflare, be it a local telco or ISP. It then takes five seconds to get the live results while it's still refreshing all of the findings. So as an example for Cloudflare, I just added that for the, um, for the default scan. And you can, for now in the preview, you, you can just add one scan per instance of the service. I added Cloudflare and two seconds later, it's telling me that there's 76,000 websites that have an SSL certificate expired already. You click on, on the list and it individually lists out all the websites for you. So I'm, I'm fairly certain that somebody will be frustrated that this data is so readily available now. Because before this, I, I would imagine you would have to build your own tool to scan whatever list of websites you want to find. But now we're actually going to Cloudflare and asking an aggregate that please give us everything you know, and we get that in two seconds, and we don't have to do the heavy lifting anymore. For deploying, super easy. You create a resource group in Azure Portal to deploy EASM, and you're done. Then you create the discovery process, either a manual or a custom process, or you select one one uh, company you want to scan, and that's that. 
how do you feel, Toby, about the pricing of of the service? I mean, it's a preview, so it's free. I like that. Uh, I haven't taken a look at the uh, the other pricing, so I don't know the the price point that will come into the picture when we move out of a preview. For now, I'm just taking it for a spin. Do you know anything about the public pricing or the the pricing that will be listed? So it's it's a bit fuzzy for now because if I look in Azure Portal, it's telling me that I have 30 days remaining in my free trial, but this is a preview, so I I think it sort of means the trial of the preview service that eventually will be generally available. Yes. But then in the documentation, which is publicly available, it states that the pricing will be 0.01 euro per asset per day. So one cent per asset per day. And an asset is a domain host, IP block, IP addresses, SSL search, and so on. So if you want to scan for 10 who is contacts, that will be 10 cents for the total of those contacts per day. I feel it's it's very affordable. But obviously, if you're adding 2,000 domains and, and, and you're, you're simply keeping those in the scan, which makes sense, you end up paying a sort of a fixed fee per month, even if nothing happens in there. So again, I feel perhaps some sort of a bulk discount would be usable in the future. The documentation also states that when you open the Azure pricing calculator, if you sign in, that this would automatically scan your assets and give you a recommendation of the costs. I couldn't get this to work because in Azure pricing calculator, this defender service is not yet available. So the only only price point I have is one cent per asset per day for now. I think that's beyond preview. But oftentimes Microsoft, what, what they're doing is during preview, the prices are slashed by 50%. So would this be two cents per asset per day? I'm not sure yet, but you have 30 days to try it out and then figure out if you feel it's worth paying for this. Yeah, makes sense. Availability. Where did you deploy your several instances? I tried, like many other things I have in the cloud, to deploy to West Europe, but that failed. It was not available there at the time. So Sweden Central was available, which is also a sustainable option because it's closer to to where I live. So hopefully a a lower carbon footprint, uh, which is something perhaps for a different episode that we can talk about. So I put mine into Sweden Central. What about you? I try to go with, with, with West Europe as well, because it's ingrained to me that whenever you select a location, it always starts with a W and then it's West Europe. But it's complaining, even though on the pull down menu it's available, it's complaining that well, no, it's not available yet. So Sweden Central for me as well. I did not verify which other locations are supported. So the pull down menu gives you all the locations. I'm fairly certain there's a couple of US based ones perhaps a couple of ones, perhaps in Australia, that you can also utilize. But in Europe, North Europe and West Europe, not available. Sweden Central is the, is the one you would use. The, the privacy documentation for this is fairly limited, but it does state that there's global components in here. So whatever you deploy will be in, in Sweden Central, but obviously this is reaching out to other capabilities in Azure 
that are outside that specific location. So I, I, I think this is bound to utilize capabilities outside, for example, the EU region, which might be problematic for certain companies that have to stick to certain regulations, like all data has to reside in, in the EU region. Yeah, I, I think they mentioned that in the docs that about data residency availability and privacy and things like that, where where they say that they the service contains both global data and customer specific data. So the underlying internet data is global Microsoft data, so that might come from a different region, uh, but that's no customer data. And labels applied by customers are considered customer data, and that will go into your region. Uh, so the one you choose. So anything that is proprietary to you, or anything that you create, or anything that you label will go into the region you selected, which is good to know for regulatory requirements and data residency. Like you said, all the data that bubbles up, all the already discovered assets, but unlabeled in that sense, you did not put a label yourself on them. They are global data and they will be provided into the instance that you have uh, for discoverability. Exactly. Uh, a couple of thoughts still on, on the service. Uh, when I was fiddling around with this, waiting for that 24 to 48 hours to to, to pass. I, I kept thinking, why is this not part of Defender for Cloud? Because Defender for Cloud, that's the central place that I use to see what's my security posture, what's my, what are the assets that I have? And with Azure Arc, it obviously goes to on-premises. So I sort of feel that logically, this sort of should belong in Defender for Cloud. but does not. And also, no integration with Sentinel for now, hopefully someday. And we still have Defender for Cloud Apps, or MCAS, as it used to be called. And I feel, well, there's a lot of overlap again, because with Defender for Cloud Apps, you can dump your uh, gateway logs to Defender for Cloud Apps to analyze, to, to show you what's happening and what sort of services you're using. So there's a bit of overlap with that one as well. Uh, it's interesting, but it's also yet another tool for every on, on top of everything else that I now sort of need to mentally keep in mind when when designing solutions. It's not a bad thing, but at the same time, I feel, do we always need a new service? Couldn't it be an extension to an existing service? Yeah, that's good thoughts. I'm sure we'll know soon enough, you know, if and, and where it fitted fits in, into the like wider uh, services of security that they offer in in, uh, in the Azure side and Azure space. Uh, makes sense if it gets introduced or at least good connectors or integration points to some of these other bigger products that you can kind of feed into or connect into. But I guess time will tell. I'm just happy that it exists because it can now start discovering quite a few things that I had no idea about that they were exposed or that they had vulnerabilities and were exposed to the internet. Agreed, agreed. So give the service a spin. It's easy to try out. Try with your own IP blocks, with your own domains, hosts, whatever you have. Uh, let us know, perhaps through Twitter, if you find something interesting, because we are mostly looking at our own data here. Alrighty, the last thing, the unexpected question. So Toby, you did ask me last week, so this week it's going to be my turn to ask you the unexpected question. Are you ready? Let's go. If Microsoft Azure disappeared today, would you start ramping up on AWS or Google Cloud or Toby's local cloud? <laughs> Good question. 
option D, multi-cloud. That's the future. Righty. And Righty. you know, for for ensuring that your business can be sustained when one cloud entirely disappears from the face of the earth, and multi-cloud is the solution. So I, I think that's that's what it's going to be. If if Azure disappeared today, I would not go all in on AWS or Google Cloud or my local cloud for that matter. I would go across them. You know, it always comes back to the business requirements for me. So it's not about the technology where it has to be Azure, it has to be AWS, it has to be Google Cloud. Business requirements first, and then make the decision where you want to put things. Which luckily for me always ended up in Azure because that's the landscape that I kind of come from. Um, so okay. multi-cloud would be my answer to that one. Sounds good. Sounds good. So let's let's hope Azure will not disappear today <laughs> because otherwise I would have a challenge. I would definitely like to look more at AWS, but also at, at the Google Cloud. But it seems time is too limited and there's new services popping up in Azure almost weekly. So that's a fun thing. Alrighty. Thanks again for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week. All right. See you then.